Welcome to Every Step Podcast. I'm Christina Weston. And I'm Judith Beck. Every Step is the podcast where career and life meet. With a new guest every episode, we explore the gutsy issues affecting everyone in the workplace. Today we are joined by Dr. Margie Worrell. Margie is a leadership authority with extensive global experience supporting leaders and businesses in transformative change agendas. Today, we're chatting about courage, being present to experiences and embracing discomfort. Welcome, Margie. It's so great to have you with us today. The focus of our conversation today is courage, a topic we know that you are very, very passionate about. When I think about courage, there's so many facets to it. It's, it can range from speaking up, taking risks, doing something new, failing, getting up again in the face of adversity, uh, holding your values when there's, pre- when there's holding on to your values and upholding your values when there's pressure to bend. So, I mean, there's, and there's many, many, many other facets to courage. We'd love to spend some time sharing some stories about how each of us have personally been courageous in our careers. And I know I can think of quite a few, all different. Margie, let's start with you. Where, when, when and where have you been personally courageous? Oh, great question, Christina. I feel like I have spent much of my entire adult life outside my comfort zone, um, breaking ranks with what felt familiar and uh, what felt comfortable. So there's just many occasions. I, it starts with probably leaving my parents' farm at 18 and moving to Melbourne to the city to go to university and not knowing where I was going to live and just being very much on my own and having to be fully independent from being fully part of a family um, as an 18-year-old. And I feel like that sort of set the tone for so much of my career experience and life ever since, to be honest. Is it just being open to change? Like uh, I kind of think back to my childhood and I moved a lot as a child. And I wonder if that movement, I lived in different countries and we immigrated a few times and I went to different schools what is it that sets us up for being okay with change? It's being open to the discomfort that change inevitably brings um, mm-hmm. and valuing more the experiences and the possibilities that change opens up than valuing the comfort of avoiding it. And I know the best things I've ever done, Christina, and given what you've, it sounds like you, you, you as well, have in, required being willing to step into new places and mm. not quite know what you're doing and not have the same um, environment around you that sometimes can leave you feeling a little bit ungrounded. I've felt ungrounded many times. Like I don't yeah. have the same group of people around me reminding me who I am my identity has become a little bit like up for grabs like okay who am I now because no one around me knows me um I've got a like almost a process of reinvention at times or um is it reinvention or is it connecting back into the true true essence of of you and we're all multifaceted right there's no one just us we're not just singular dimensional yeah no I would say absolutely it's not always reinvention but I would also say you know, when you talk, you just mentioned connecting back into the heart of who we are. 
you know, at times it was like just discovering who we are. I didn't know yeah. who I was. I think about yeah. me and like, and, and gosh, I'm in my fifties now and still figuring out who I am. You know, yeah. I there's an evolution and I, I really think we're not so much human beings as human becomings. We're always becoming more of who we can be and we're peeling back the layers and all of the ideas of who we're supposed to be to discover who we are. And as we go through new experiences, sometimes really bloody hard crucible experiences, we can discover aspects of who we are as humans that we might otherwise never have known because we've never been in that situation. And I just shared with you before we started this call that my mum right now is in, it's the final stage of dementia. And just this morning I had to help bathe her. And so it's kind of very real and raw for me right now, as I'm just talking to you, mm. that was really confronting. It's not the first time I've done it, but it's very confronting with me being with my mother as though she's an infant yeah. and this massive role reversal. And, and it's like, this is life, right? This mm. is life. Just all of us as dad, my dad says, we're all passing through. And now I have my mum in the final parts of her life. And who will I be when I no longer have a mum around, which many people know, but that'll be new for me. And even this moment is new for me in this different situation. And I think I'm discovering a new aspect of who I am, who I need to be right now that I've never needed to be before. So... Um, to step into all of you and, and other aspects of you and aspects that you didn't even know were there. Yeah, and I, I think a key attribute, and I, it ties in with courage and change, is curiosity um, and being just open to the experience and the learning and not judging it as good, bad, right, wrong. I'm, I'm succeeding, failing as much as this is a new experience and how can I just be present to this experience and it may be uncomfortable like psycho for me psychologically uncomfortable <laughs> um that doesn't make it bad I mean experiences that are uncomfortable aren't necessarily bad they're That's just so true experiences and moving country I didn't move at all growing up I grew up on a dairy farm didn't go anywhere much Christina and, and, I, and yet I've spent much of my adult life living around the world and moving a ton and a lot of it has been at times uncomfortable and having to walk into rooms to meet new people and not knowing anyone. And But instead of going, oh, I hate discomfort, or I hate meeting, having to be in a room where I don't know anyone and no one knows me, going, well, this is another interesting new experience. And to just to notice the discomfort of it or to notice the newness or to notice, I remember in 2012, we moved back to Australia, to Melbourne after 11 years living in the US. And I moved back with four kids um aged at the time were what seven to 14 and setting them up in new schools and walking into this the school that my boys went to this primary school and no one knew me and no one said hello and I thought I just came from somewhere where everyone knew me and everyone said hello and like no one knows who I am I'm just a, just a, a stranger and and that's like again it was like oh this is a little confronting no one knows me but well, just observe that because there's people all over the world who have to land in new places and no one knows who they are. That's exactly right. Exactly right. I've um I've moved a couple of times and people think I'm people think I'm crazy. Um my husband and I up and went and lived in Mexico a few years ago for a year where we didn't wow. speak the language and we were there on, on business reasons, but we we don't speak Mexican Spanish. And everyone thought we were lunatics, but we were kind of looking at it with a sense of adventure. 
And you know, everything didn't go the way we planned, but gee, we learned a lot. Gee, we had a wonderful time. Gee, we met some awesome people and we're richer for the experience. Yeah. You know, I, I've heard it said that, you know, lumps, our lives are the lumps of all our experiences and some we love and some we don't love and some are fun and some are hard and, but they're all experiences. And I think it was, is it Amelia Earhart who said, you know, life is a daring adventure or nothing at all, but I, I know what's probably emboldened me to be brave many times. Um, what's emboldened me to embrace change, even though it's been scary and uncomfortable many times and difficult, has been this, like, we've got one, we have one, one precious life. We only have one. You know, we're all going to reach the end of it eventually, hopefully, you know, after living many, many years and a long life. And, you know, what do we want to make of our one and only precious life to phrase Mary Oliver? And so, yeah, there's sort of some, there's huge possibilities get unlocked when we open our arms wide to the full, you know, catastrophe of life and to all that it has to offer, Um, whether that's through travel, it's through the career experiences we put our hand up that we lean into when we stick our necks out and sometimes we screw up and make mistakes and sometimes we fall short and sometimes we realize hey I could have done even more than I thought I could but what's the mindset we bring and I think when we have a mindset that is open to new experiences and that embraces discomfort as a prerequisite for living a big life and having a really interesting career path whatever that is journey um yeah it just I think it transforms our experience of being alive you know margie i wonder you know when you talk about how you left um at 18 to to leave the farm to go to the go to melbourne i mean think back back then your parents probably gave you that courage they probably encouraged you or there was something i mean doesn't the courage that that we have and when you think about people who have gone on and done things I mean, I know when I think back, I think, where did it come from? Somebody encouraged me, somebody, you know, a parent or um, a family member or a boss or somewhere along the way was that person who said, give it a go. What have you got to lose? Um, you know what? It might not work, but at least you'll learn something. Those, all those things that that we get when we are growing up, that we bring into our adult lives. Sometimes you forget where that information comes from, and then yeah. you look back and go, oh, "I remember Grandma. Grandma said that to me." Who is the, like, who's the mom? cheerleader? Who's the coach? Thank you can do it. I wonder if you guys think if working you know the the work environment has changed these days and everybody's working from home a whole generation of people are working from home now do you think we're we're um growing a generation of people who won't be as courageous because they want they are a bit more insular and they don't have the people they're not listening to their bosses next to them in the cubicle or in the thing who is saying, go on, what do you, you know, give that client a call or give it. Do you think that that that's going to be an issue in 10 years that people are going to be not as courageous because they haven't had those cheerleaders in their back, in their, in their ear, like they, like we did, you know, yeah. grow, going, growing up, but also going into a working environment because 
a lot of people think kids are cotton wool these days and don't go outside the fence don't you know stay in the front yard don't go outside the fence we used to drive our ride our bikes all around town just be home before dark well now kids don't do I remember that <laughs> remember that right just be home be home before the lights of uh, the street lights come on right and you know oh, what do you think about that you guys what do you, do you think that the you know that the next generation are is going to be as courageous in what they do and and put themselves out there and speak up or are they going to be a bit more oh I don't know about that yeah look I think uh they'll have to be courageous in different ways they live in a very different world we didn't have the world of social media and we didn't have the 24 7 bombardment of reasons to be afraid and anxious that that they have that they've grown up in many of these you know young millennials etc um Certainly the last few years through COVID, I think, have really exacerbated underlying anxiety. There was already, we already had a more anxious people than we, there, you know, anxiety is on the rise. And I think the level, the fear factor went up a lot. And to the point that, I mean, anxiety is when there's a, a general sense of there's not something specific. And I think there's a lot of people who are just feeling anxious about a bit everything. Mm. And that that's, that's undermines the quality of our decision-making because, fear our our perceptions of threats to us can be disproportionate to the to the actual, the actual threat yeah people are afraid and like but really think that through this there's that there's not always legitimate reasons for the fear um and i do think bring circling that tying that in with what you say like having champions having people say yes you can go and do it put your hand up lean in speak up say yes to the job you know move state move city move country etc um, there's there's no doubt that our environment impacts how we see ourselves and what we see as possible for ourselves. And I, I remember when I was doing my PhD about five years ago, and I interviewed a lot of actually women in C-suite roles in large multinationals and talked about them on their career journey to getting to where they were. And oh, I, I can't think of an exception to this. Nearly every one of them, but there was a few that stand out, said, There was a moment or a time in their early career, maybe they're in their 30s, maybe they're in their 20s, where someone said, oh, you should totally take that role or you should totally put your name forward for that role. And they're like, really, me? I don't, like, seriously? And they're like, I don't know how to do that. And they're like, oh, but totally do it anyway. Others believed in them more than they believed in themselves. That is so true. That is so common for for ghost generalization, but for a lot of women. Yeah. That's why it's so important for them to have people in their corner. And several said that they could literally trace their career trajectory shifting onto another trajectory from a conversation in which someone believed in them more than they believed in themselves and saw in them potential beyond what Mm. they saw in themselves. And several said, um, and I've heard this again and again, someone said, oh, you could be like a CEO or you could be a director or you could be a whatever. And they're like, really? You what? think but me? Never, they'd never, they it hadn't even occurred to them that that yeah. was possible for them. And so, um, and obviously, there's a gendered element to that. But but male and female it, it, across the board, when we have people around us who believe in our ability to succeed, um, we know from the research, you know, like that so that actually emboldens us and goes, well, I we can almost loan courage from other people. 
I'm afraid, but if you think I can, I'm going to give it a go. I'm not sure, but I'm going to lean on your faith in me when my own faith in myself is very fragile. Yeah. And, and tying that kind of conversation around heightened levels of anxiety, more people suffering from anxiety, which lowers people's confidence levels, this kind of coach or courage companion uh, is even more important now. It feels like it's more important now. I, I think we are more isolated. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of wonderful benefits that have come from, I mean, it's accelerated a transition to uh, with technology to working remotely, et cetera. It's normalized Zoom meetings in ways that weren't before, et cetera, which is awesome. But I also think sometimes we don't know what's best for ourselves and we can go, oh, it's easier just to stay working from home. I never want to go into an office and it's just so much easier and it is easier and it has convenience factor. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily the best thing for us in the long term <laughs> because sometimes getting in the car and driving 30 minutes and commuting through traffic to be in an office around people and doing that, um, that exposes us to conversations and to those uncurated meetings and interactions that aren't necessarily the transactional style of we're here together today to, to decide on X, Y, Z, but those little moments where you you have those spontaneous connections that can open up all sorts of doors of possibility and build relationships. And you just happen to be in the right place, right time. And someone says, hey, I just spoke to someone. They need someone. Can you help with that? And, and you know, knocking on your window. They're not knocking. Yeah. And I know myself even being back in an office environment. Um, now, when I go in, I, I nearly always have a conversation with someone, if not multiple conversations, that possibilities, things come from that, that would never have come because we were never going to set up a meeting. You know, it's someone exactly. I don't know um, and things come from it. So, and um, sometimes it's me learning something I didn't know. Sometimes it's just, you know, sharing information, bouncing ideas, et cetera. So I think it's, that's why actually I'm a, I'm a big proponent of people not, and it does depend on where you are in your career journey and it, what you do, but I'm a very big proponent of us getting out of our comfort zone, getting dressed up, sitting in a car or getting on a plane and just being with people in person and doing that very intentionally and being strategic about that as well. Well, the human element, I mean, you can't underestimate, I can't even imagine trying to have, um, you know, conversation, even when I was running my executive search firm, like the reality is you've got to see people face to face and with clients at a certain point, you've got to get to know them and, and you can't do that by, you know, Zoom meetings are great, but to really get to know them and, and read their body language and have a conversation, I got to be in front of somebody. I got to, you know, once I get to know them, then that's different. But for that, that initial building the, the relationship, yeah. it's a lot better to build a relationship if you're sitting in front of someone. And I think with the new way of working, you've got to blend both. You got to blend the benefits of both. And, um, and it does depend a lot on where you are in your career. But anybody who is, you know, one of the things we were talking about not too long ago is that basically, if you're a senior leader, well, you can't expect your, your teams to come into the office if you don't come in. Look, it's my speculation that the price is going to, there's a, there's a, a steep invisible tax that's going to be delayed, but we are going to pay a price 
um, if we're not bringing people together and it's not immediate, it will be delayed. And you mentioned this a little bit ago. So much of the learning uh, as we come into the workforce, I think of myself in my 20s, was watching other people in action, was watching my manager or my manager's manager have a disagreement with the manager in the other division on how best to go forward and watching them disagree on something and work through it and come out with a decision. But seeing how they did that, what's how do you yeah. constructively use conflict? Um, how do you push back? How do you say, no, I'm not going to do Like watching people do that, I learn how to do it. Absolutely. So you're not always getting that exposure because that's not always going to happen on a Zoom meeting with a, with 25 people. Oh, it's probably more happening behind closed doors now, even so, like figuratively, but even more behind closed doors now. Yeah, and I think the soft skills are the most crucial skills and they are the ones that um, they're uncomfortable because those interpersonal skills, and I work a lot, obviously, with people in really senior leadership roles. And um, but by the time you get to the top, they're all brilliant. They're all very smart. They're all technically excellent, absolutely outstanding performance, yeah. deliver results. But how can they scale their impact through others, building strong currencies of trust, building strong followership, you know, using constructive conflict, um, managing accountability, uh, all of those things, which are the most crucial skills for leadership and for a leading change. Absolutely. And, and Do you think we're afraid of conflict? Do you think we're afraid of speaking up, of being contrarian, of having a different voice or a different opinion? Because it, it kind of feels like um, speaking up is sometimes um, frowned upon. People are afraid of conflict. It's all it's all about being nice and having everything run smoothly. Are we learning? Are we forgetting the art of that? It's actually okay to have a disagreement. It's okay to have an opposing view and work through it, talk through it. Honestly, I think people have always been uncomfortable with conflict. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's a new thing. Um, you know, I, I started out coaching what 20 something years ago and across the board, dealing with tensions in relationships, navigating um, conflict, you know, conversations around accountability, people sharing what they're struggling with. That has always been the, the, the constant thread through so many of for me, coaching conversations, like how do we navigate this? Because it is deeply uncomfortable. None of us like to, it makes us feel vulnerable. And it's also incredibly uncomfortable when we, other people are vulnerable. And so often we avoid it. It's why so often the most crucial conversations are the least comfortable conversations and the conversations we most, you know, least want to have are the ones that we so often need to have, but we don't. Um, and I think I look at the world of digital technology and look at young people asking someone on their, you know, Snapchat, will you go out with me or breaking up? I remember when, um, yeah. <laughs> what's his name with Katy Perry? I've forgotten, you know, um, the British guy, the actor, I've forgotten. They were married and he broke up. He like said he was getting divorced via Russell Brand. He wanted to get divorced via text message. And, you know, because why? Because that was less uncomfortable in the moment sending a text than it was to say, I don't want to stay married to you. But I see it all the time with young people. Like I'm like, pick up the phone and call them. And they're like, oh, you can't do that. That's so weird, mum. I'm like, it could actually cut to the chase a lot quicker when it comes to working through it, you know, where there's been a misunderstanding and your feelings are hurt, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, 
But I do and think so, you can hide so behind I technology. You know what? That, that example with Russell Brand is a really good example because it's a lesson of it probably cost him more in the divorce settlement because <laughs> that probably really upset her. And if he just would have picked up the phone and done it in a nice, proper way, it probably would have benefited him because that's the problem with conflict with people. They, they, they don't want that they don't want to address it but if they did and if they just stayed with the facts put themselves in the other person's shoes and did it quickly they would probably alleviate a lot more problems that but instead they avoid it and the problems start to snowball it doesn't and get any easier does it the longer we leave it it's more courage because you build it up you work it up in your yeah. mind as being it even builds, bigger than you thought it was whereas it, if you just dealt with it straight away it builds a bigger wedge and I, I i believe that what doesn't get talked out gets acted out issues fester go underground and get expressed then in far more negative ways but uh, I also have experienced many people who've said, oh, I was putting off a conversation with my boss, with a team member, with um, a friend, and then they finally summon their courage and ask for the pay rise or ask for the support or address the issue that was causing them to be frustrated or resentful or whatever. And then they've said almost to a T, honestly, it wasn't as bad as I thought. I laid awake for three nights, you know, like, I, well, why didn't I do that three months ago? Um, so often our fear of the discomfort of the awkwardness is way disproportionate to the actual experience of discomfort in the moment. And we spare yeah. ourselves so much so mental cost when we just, just do it. And I, I know myself, I, I really feel very strongly and try to practice when an issue comes up, whether it's a colleague, whether it's, I mean, in my marriage, I'm well-practiced with just kind of, let's just talk this through right now. Can we just talk this through? Because I know that if we let it fester, it's not going to get better. It's just, we're going to really pay for it with more mental anguish down the track. Exactly. Exactly. And you do, it's kind of, we used to have this um, saying that you worked long, a long time ago. It's basically um, when you, why isn't somebody calling me back? oh, they must not have liked the proposal or they're going with the other company or they did this or that. And the consultants would, um, you know, just build up this big scenario, right? And, and then they would find out that finally when they got a hold of the customer, the customer would say, oh, look, sorry, I didn't get back to you. I forgot to tell you I was going to be on annual leave for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And this whole fear of everything that they were going through and the knots and just and, and it was a lesson that I used to say to them of these are the questions you ask at the time of the briefing to make sure yep. you eliminate any doubt as much as you possibly can and have yep. those and also having conversations with clients who might be clients who are marginal and how many people are afraid to have that conversation because they don't want to hear that client saying no I'm sorry we're not happy or we're going to go with someone else. Well, it's better to know now. Quick no is a good no because <laughs> then you can move on. Yeah. But it's it's people, that's human nature, isn't it? They just keep, they just delay and delay. And if they would just, what do they say? Take the Band-Aid off quick. Yeah. And, and, and I think there's, we, we, you started out talking about courage in the many ways that we can be courageous. One of it is, one of, a key thing is having the courage to risk rejection. Mm. Um, to risk someone saying no uh that i i can't tell you how many times 
whether as an author or trying to get an endorsement or, you know, reaching out to someone and having to brace myself for them to be disinterested or not to respond or to say no. And yeah, sometimes they did, but the, the more we can step back and not make it mean something more than it means at this moment in time, this person didn't see the value in what I was offering or maybe well, just missed the email. someone else or maybe, <laughs> but, but the more often we're willing to risk the no or risk the rejection, then the more, the, the more possibilities we open up for getting exactly what we want or even better than what we want. Um, so I think having the courage to say no, but another really important one is having the courage to risk disappointing people and you saying no. Yes. Yes. And I think we often, we don't like disappointing people. I think many Agreed. women and men, but I think women particularly where mm -hmm. we, we are nurturers, we want to take care of everyone's feelings and I'm having to practice this and ratchet it up all the time to risk disappointing people and saying, no, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Or I'm sorry, I can't be part of that. Or I can't, you know, I can't give you the, what it is you'd like from me, whether it's my time, whether it's my um, expertise or an endorsement or whatever it is that I, I just don't have that capacity. And I think if we want to do great things, we have to be willing to disappoint people. And that's not a bad thing. And it doesn't mean we're not caring. It means that we just are having to prioritize our time and our energy. Um, and sometimes in it's about boundary management. It's about understanding what's important to us and what are our priorities. And I'm not saying to be selfish. It's quite distinct from that. It's it's really about what you've been talking about, which is managing our boundaries and our priorities and what's important to us. Yeah. Yeah. So and something comes the right thing by them too. You know, they don't want to be sitting around waiting for something or they don't want to be hoping something's going to happen. It's not going to happen. So yeah. it's doing the right thing by them. But, by and you them. also don't know how you're inspiring people. I had a friend once, um, we both had four kids and I was living in Dallas, Texas, and I wanted to catch up and I was trying to find time. And then she, she was working at a, like a full-time job and had, her, she had three kids at the time, actually. And I remember her saying, no, I can't do that. And I can't do that. I just, she was setting her boundaries. And I remember feeling a little bit hurt that I wanted to see her more than she wanted to see me, but also being like empowered. Like, I love that she said that. And it wasn't that she didn't value the friendship. She was yeah. just, do that. It's too much. I can't, you know, spend that time in the traffic or whatever, getting together on a Friday night with kids, whatever it was, I can't even remember the details, but it actually empowered me to say no more often. And I would simply, would say to anyone you know when you step up and really stand on your own values set boundaries say no or make a request and risk someone saying no to you other people around you are watching and if you can just do that with grace it actually empowers other people to do the same and that's just absolutely and I think it's very powerful especially now when so many people are saying they're overworked they're they've got too much on they're juggling too many things and their boss is coming to them with something else something else and it's really easy just to say yes but actually to be able to say no I, I can't manage this right now or I can't manage this until if I do this then either these priorities get changed or I can't complete what I've committed to do and I can't do this this next thing until but people just take things on and then and then and then they fail in their work because they can't deliver or they miss deadlines and then, and then they, they disappoint and they, they look bad they end up resentful at the person that made the ask when actually they're the ones That's that said yes correct and well I couldn't correct. say no I'm like you can always say no it's just there's going to be different outcomes there's going to be consequences but you can always say no you can say consequence no. to yes yeah. 
there's a so consequence to saying yes and a consequence to saying no <laughs> well and also I think if you just say look thanks for asking me but I I can't give it the time it deserves so at this point I'm gonna have to say no it's not something I have the ability to do at this moment and and you know but thanks for asking me but no <laughs> no, no, no I, I totally agree um and I think for all of us just constantly checking in with ourselves when I get asked things like is this something I really want to do like how important it is what will this take away from mm. because I often get requests coming in and it's like yeah I'd like to yeah that sounds great that sounds like they're, they're all good things like they're great it's not like oh this is something I don't want to do it's generally like I want to do all of it but what is it taking away from? Maybe I can't finish working time to go to yoga and, and I feel crummy at the end of the week because I haven't done the exercise I wanted or because I've tried to cram in extra calls at the end of the day. Um, so it's not always some big, massive thing. It can be little so things. That's exactly right. And, you know, and like we said, it's better if people actually give you an answer rather than you ask for something and never hear or you left wondering or I'll get back to you, but they don't. And I always say to people, just tell, you know, have the courage, basically, just tell the person you don't want to do it. And in a work environment, one, what are you saying no to? Make sure you know that. What are you saying yes to? And make sure you give the answer and make sure you have the deliverables, yeah. of whatever it is that you decide, because. And making no decision is still a decision. Doing nothing doing is nothing. still a decision. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So it's really, you know, so, you know, we are coming to, can you believe it? My goodness, we could talk. Um, we could talk about courage and fear for a long time. But I want to just because we're coming to the end. And I just want to in one minute, for each of you to just sum up, if you were advising a young person today entering the workforce, what would you tell them about how to be courageous in the workplace? So I'll start with you, Margie. Wow. My daughter starts her first full-time job next Monday. So very timely. Um, I would say have the confidence to engage in conversations with people that you might be intimidated by. Uh, don't let people's position or their success intimidate you. Own your own value, but be humble and be curious and uh, be constantly willing to try things that um, you don't feel yet confident that you are 100% able to succeed at. Yeah, hey, that reminds me, and I know I'm going off a tangent here, but I remember <laughs> I listened to a podcast that you were in, and you you were talking about your daughter doing the stand-up uh -huh. yes. on open mic night in New York, and I thought to myself, that was Maddie, right? Yes, that's that's my daughter. <laughs> and I thought to myself, She's she can't only be more than in her early twenties or something, and I'm thinking that that is not in today's environment. First of all, to get up an open mic night is huge it's if you're a, you know, a singer, but to do it as a as a comedian in today's yeah. environment where everybody's judging everything that you say. Yeah, I remember it's you had said something to her like, um, "What do you got to lose? Just do it." How did she go? <laughs> she did really well. I think she was 19 then. It was before COVID. And then COVID obviously closed down open mic nights. But she did really well. And, you know, I think, and I remember her saying she was wanting to come up with the most brilliantly, funny, wickedly. And I said, honey, just do the best you can. Like, give you, and I would say the same to anyone, an artist, someone wanting to write a book. Like, just 
you don't have to be brilliant. Just do it. You get a huge, big, like gold star by simply stepping up and having that guts to do it. And you know what? She was good. Was she absolutely brilliant? No, and that's okay. But she did it. And as she said afterwards, it wasn't as bad as she thought. And she's since mm-hmm. done many since. So oh, um, that was brilliant. amazing. You also yeah. said that you were in the audience. Yeah. And I thought to myself, not only is she getting up on open mic night, but her mother's in the audience. And usually when you get up and do a presentation or something, you don't really, your first ones, you don't really want people in the audience, you know, yeah. because it's easier to do it when well, there's- part of her best material is making fun of me. So, oh. <laughs> um, you know, and I've heard it before. So yes, like, I'm, so- I'm, her, I'm her fodder, my mother, life coach, you know, columnist you know, who can never find her keys at home, you know, and, you know, she really loves throwing me under the, you know, bus, but in, uh, in very funny ways, I said, you know, if you're going to like make fun of me, please just make me laugh as you do it. So good for her. I love it. And, you know, that goes back to the point earlier we we're making about people who, people who have people behind them in their corner while they're growing up in their early work environment, who are saying, what do you got to lose? They're being the cheerleader, planting the seed. And going like all that courage, I'm sure she's listened to a ton of your stuff and read your books and everything. So she's probably going, well, mom says to do this. You know, Madeline actually hasn't read any of my, none of my kids have read any of my books. (laughs) Why would we read your books? You've talked to us all the time. You're always trying to give us advice, honestly. Very good. And Christina, what would you advise? Oh, a few things. Um, For me, values have always been really important. So understand your values and speak up if behaviours that you're observing are out of alignment with your values or out of alignment with the values of the organisation that you work for. At the end of the day, it's who you are as a human being that's going to define you. So really, yeah, values is kind of core. Um, And a bit around what Margie was saying is learn to be comfortable with taking risks. So do something out of your comfort zone because that's where personal growth is. Now, personal growth doesn't happen when you play it safe. Personal growth happens when you step out of what is safe for you. And, and, and that definition is different for, for, for everybody. But, um, yeah, learn to be comfortable with taking risks. Risk. I, you know, and I, I um, agree with all that and say be true to what you believe, be prepared to speak up, and don't walk away from your ethics. And especially early career, you know, you've got things that are going, you've got, and if you don't think that that is right, speak up. And if you can't speak up within your work environment, find someone who you trust and value their, their opinion and speak up to them and ask them for advice. But I think you've got to be courageous to be able to really just sort of go now that doesn't feel right. I'm going to speak up and find out and ask more questions. That's what I would do. So that, that like I said, we could talk about this for, for a long, long time. And Margie, I want to thank you. We really enjoyed speaking to you, but I just want to remind the audience to make sure that you read You've Got This and stop playing safe. Not to mention, my friend, all the other books that you've got <laughs> that are best-selling books. And, um, and also your Live Brave podcast, which is fantastic you know, the, the, um, the, it's gold, the things there are gold. So I encourage everybody to go to Margie's website. All those will be in the show notes. And uh, Margie, I wanted to say to you too, you know, you were the one that encouraged me to write my book. Cause I went to that first, um, to your first book launch at the white rabbit. Yes. In Brighton. Yeah. Yes. In Brighton. 
and you said don't wait to, for it to be perfect you know i didn't wait for it to be i just did it and do you know i'm not a you were saying like i'm not it's, it's particularly the a writer you know that type which you are but you were being very humble and that stuck with me and i thought okay yeah you know that really did stuck with me so thank you for being an advocate and a mentor to someone. I am so happy to hear that. And the world is richer because you did put pen to paper. So well done. Oh, you. Yeah, right. So thanks a lot. And um, we just loved having you. Uh, thanks, thank Marty. You it's been fantastic. You know, it has been a pleasure, a lot of fun. And I agree. We could have talked for hours, but um, <laughs> this is long enough. <laughs> for more information about Every Step and our guests, head to everysteppodcast.com. To be notified of new podcasts, please subscribe via your favourite listening platform. And of course, follow us on social media and direct message us to share your ideas about guests or topics.